What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in, checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 28. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to wrap up the four-part series we've been doing with Greg Benick. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Check it out. I want to get into the really root of the Hustle the Most podcast, which is um, the lessons learned. So one of the things I always do is, you know, the format is always you know, some sort of story or event or experience that has happened in my life. And then, you know, looking back at it in this kind of retrospective lens of like 20 or 30 years, and then thinking about what I learned from it, right? And how that kind of shaped me to, you know, move on to the next thing, similar to our conversation, right? It was something that happened. It definitely changed my trajectory of how I thought about things, what my, you know, what my motivation was, things like that. Before we jump into that, I just want to ask, you know, you do a lot of stuff, face-to-face interactions with people, for the most part, pretty much everything that I know you to do um, in a live setting is about people being present to make it happen, right? So whether you're speaking at an event or you're, you know, playing in a band or you're, you know, working in, in creative groups, you know, so we're still in you know, a pandemic and it's, it's, it's happening. Did you have to kind of pivot the way that you are doing things or thinking about things based on the fact that you do everything, you know, with a big crowd, right? There'll be a hundred, 200, 300, 5,000 people, right. And Greg's at the center, right? So how does that, how does that look for you um, now? And what did you have to pivot to, to do something differently than you've done before? It's a great question. I mean, certainly, obviously, I had to pivot to virtual presentations. So I'm speaking to you today from my virtual video setup here in Seattle, my, my studio here in Seattle. So I had to build out a, a studio, basically a professional studio, rather than just sit with Zoom on a laptop and do presentations. I, you know, went three cameras, professional lights, video switcher, all sorts of gear. And, you know, it just was a huge pivot for me. Um, you know, I'd owned some gear, of course, in the past in order, you know, sound, you know, microphones and whatnot. But I realized like, oh, wow, the microphone, even this is a perfect example. The microphone that I use, the Countryman E6 that I use on stage, which is now the much advanced generation from the Janet Jackson microphone over the ear that you referred to before, the Countryman E6, which is a great microphone and works amazingly well integrated with my Shure receiver transmitter system on stage doesn't work for virtual. Why? Because there's a very thin line of the mic going down my cheek that's just sitting there on virtual that if I'm on stage, no one's going to pay any attention to, but on virtual, you're staring at somebody's face and it's like, oh, that doesn't work. So I had to call a friend of mine who works at Shure and be like, okay, what's the best lavalier mic you, you could possibly sell me? He's like, oh, this one, this is the one they use on, you know, on, on Broadway. I'm like, cool, sell me one of those. So that's what I'm using today you know, in, in talking to you here in the virtual setup, even that example, like my microphone isn't right anymore. Okay. Well, what about what I'm speaking about, how I'm speaking, how I'm connecting with an audience, what I do in a virtual presentation, very different than live. I mean, it's very different than live. It's the reason that, you know, we can text each other all day long. And then when we hang out in person, we're like, Oh, Hey man, what's, what's going on? Uh, I'm awkward. You know, we're, and we all do that. We all do that in some degree, depending on the relationship with the person that we're communicating with. So I had to make some big pivots around virtual for sure. And then, I mean, obviously, I mean, things canceled right and left in the spring of 2020. Um, all, in fact, 
all of the events canceled, right? Um, so then when they started rebooking as virtual and now hybrid and live events coming back, depending on where we're in the country and who's hosting them, um, you know, it's been a really fascinating time. And what I did is I resigned myself uh, to being somewhat along for the ride, meaning I decided not to do what some of my friends did in the industry that I'm in, which is say, hey, I'm just going to set up Zoom and play my guitar in front of Zoom. And then uh, you can donate to my pen PayPal or my Venmo. Not interested. I'm not going to do that. That's what I, that was me street performing, you know, in the 90s. Um, I also didn't want to do what some of my other friends did, which is go so hard into virtual, 100% virtual. This is my life. This is what I do. I just, I don't wake up in the morning and think to myself, oh my gosh, I can't wait to build out my virtual student. Well, now I, now I do because I'm a total nerd about it. But <laughs> I mean, that's not what I was doing, you know, a year and a half ago. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to build out the virtual studio, but I'm also going to go along for the ride and see where this ends up. And I'm pretty glad I made that choice because it's meant that I could live my life work on research, work on, you know, coin research, for example, um, you know, do music projects throughout the pandemic, you know, build out the ability to record here at home. Like, I mean, I've got a, a setup for voiceover work that I can do, you know, the user vocals. Um, those things happened because I was quote unquote along for the ride. Just like, you know what? I have no idea where this ends up. I'm just going to stay in it and see where this lands, which realistically is what process is all about. You mentioned process earlier. It's about staying in it and seeing where it lands. Um, and also it's almost like you're guiding the ship and also on the ship being guided at the same time. It's kind of a delicate balance combination of both insert full podcast conversation sometime with you here about it. Cause I know you have a lot to say about that too. I'm not the expert. I mean, I'm experienced in it, but I mean, you play the drums. I mean, that's pretty fascinating process driven work right there. So there you have it. You know, a lot of the things that that people have had to do, you know, to to pivot into a world that's you know virtually the unknown, right? We're all steering into this kind of unknown. I mean, even you know, I work in healthcare, right? And so, as a designer in healthcare, you know, I design a lot of you know experiences and spaces and you know technology interactions, and you know, in every day comes up with new challenges. But you know, we still haven't solved you know, a lot of the problems that, that, that everyone's having, which is, well, how do you solve for like a hybrid distributed workforce and keep everyone engaged and on the same level? I mean, we're doing things in VR, right? That are, are interesting because when you're in VR, you can't tune out and start checking emails, right? Because you're in VR. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Like we just kind of figured out, you know, a couple of parts and pieces. And I mean, some of the biggest companies in the world still haven't figured this out. I mean, we haven't figured out either. I mean, VR is not the answer, but it's one of those things that, you know, how do you, how do you engage with people, right? And, and how do you figure out new spins on, on old problems, right, that everyone's facing right now and everyone's still facing it. The biggest companies in the world are still, you know, holding up sticky notes in front of a Zoom, you know, camera to be like, oh, can you read this? I'm going to put this on the wall over here, right? And that's supposed to be the answer. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine in Italy, and uh, this is at the start of the pandemic. And he was so upset that one of his, he's a, a singer, uh, songwriter, a show that he had with a hero of his, that he finally got this opening slot on this hero show was canceled. And he was like, I don't even know what to do. And we were talking about it and brainstorming, like, wait, why don't you write to him and other heroes as well and say, hey, can when this all ends, can I open for you? And I remember him saying like, 
well, I, I can't, how, how am I, I, I can't write to them. Can I write to them? And I'm like, dude, they're doing what you're doing right now. They're sitting in front of a laptop going, holy crap, it's a pandemic. What do I do? Everyone's at home. We have equaled the playing field between, you know, again, Getty Lee, because he rules Getty Lee and the bassist of whomever are all in the same boat. They're all just kind of, I mean, granted, Getty Lee's sitting on a wine and baseball, you know, memorabilia collection worth more than I'll ever know, you know, so it's not quite level playing field, but um, everyone's been in the same boat of confusion. So what do you do with that situation? Well, it's, it's, it's an incredible opportunity for people to um, have their own experiences normalized where all of a sudden uh, we don't get to make our own experiences exceptionalized, which is what we often do thinking to ourselves, gosh, no one feels what I feel. Well, no, actually everyone is having a shared experience right now in some degree. So it's pretty, pretty interesting times and who knows what will come next. But I think that, you know, for me, it's been about, being on that ship with everybody else and not necessarily guiding it. And then at other times, like I said, with rebranding, redefining myself, piloting the ship and seeing where it ends up, it's kind of been a combination of both. Certainly. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You said something earlier about, you know, we're talking about, you know, things that you've done in the way that you've been able to continue to do what you do and that's to just stick to it. Right. Just keep, straight, you know, keep, keep going the path. Right. Yep. And, and the, you know, even with K breaks, I mean, it's, it's a similar thing. I mean, the reason why, you know, the number one reason why new businesses or ventures or, you know, entrepreneurs fail is lack of follow through, you know, a thousand percent. How many people have come to me? Oh, I got this great idea for this thing. I'm like, yeah, that, and that's good. Like you should take that idea and do a thing with it. Right. Like it's, it's completely different, but you know, the idea that, if you just take something and just push it forward and see where it goes and build on the momentum, you know, you'd surprise yourself. I think a lot of people would surprise themselves of how much they can actually accomplish and create just by being like, instead of saying, "Mm, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, this is 2022, man. You can Google just about everything, right? How do I, how do I start a business? How do I, create staff? How do I create social media? How do I, you know, design something in CAD? How do I, you know, I mean, you literally can write, how do I, and then just put anything after it and you can pretty much do it. Right. Or at least learn about it. Right. And some, some things take skill, like, you know, there's skill sets involved and in knowledge and, you know, but if you have the time to put in it, you know, the time to put into it, I mean, I think it's, anything's pretty much possible. Right. Most of the things in my life, have come from three different things. One, I throw things in the air and I catch them again before they hit the ground. Two, I scream as loud as I can into microphones. Three, I say things. Okay. I throw objects in the air and I catch them before they hit the ground. This is a rudimentary skill. I scream (laughs) as loud as I can into microphones. Okay. Like you could hand a baboon a microphone. It's going to figure out eventually that it can scream into it and amplify its own voice. And then I say things, we all do some version of that. I'm not trying to diminish myself in this moment. I'm trying to amplify listeners who are the ones who you've described as maybe have an idea and they don't follow through with it. Quite honestly, I throw things in the air and I catch them. I scream into microphones or I say things. That's, that's it. That's what I've got. That's what I do. I've just taken it over 30, 40 years and see 
where and just to see where that ends up. So when the person comes to you or the person listening to this has an idea like, oh my gosh, we should do this thing where we take ice cream and we melt it and then we reconstitute it and then we you know freeze it and we smash it over our heads and we make videos of that and we sell it. It's like, good, do that thing. Because all I'm doing is throwing things up in the air and catching them before they hit the ground, screaming into microphones and saying stuff. And you've just described something cool with ice cream. Bring it on. You know, like, let's see what that looks like. Any idea, no matter how ridiculous, I mean, realistically, is something, if you feel like it's worth pursuing, it most definitely is. And it's okay to not know. I mean, my to-do list after I talk to you, I really need to know specifically in Apple keynotes, how to animate, um, how to, an- how to animate slides in Apple keynote. I have a video queued up to watch when we're off. It's a 30 minute video. I know a little bit about animating slides in Apple keynote. I don't know enough about it. And after that 30 minutes, I'm like, all right, let's go. That's the next step. Just take the next step, whatever it is, you know, just take the next step. Because again, always remember to yourself, this 13 year old kid threw an object in the air and caught it before it hit the ground. And someone said, Whoa, that's cool. And he went, All right. And then 40 years later, here I am. Like, who knows where 40 years leads you, dear listener, after your idea uh, takes that next step. And and for anyone, you know, that's familiar with trial, I would say you're probably just one step away. Ooh, trial reference. (laughs) I got to throw one in, man. At least, you know. One, one. There was once, there, there was once I did a juggling show. This is probably, this is 20 years ago, but I did a juggling show for the city of Kent, Washington, uh, about 20, 25 minutes south of Seattle. And uh, it was advertised locally. And for some reason, all the hardcore kids showed up, all the, you know, you know, all the, the local scene showed up. So you've got an audience of families an audience of people excited to see a juggling show. And then interspersed, you've got all these, you know, hardcore listener people who were just, you know, very out of place at the city of Kent's, whatever it was event. So I saw them in the audience before I went on and I'm backstage trying to think of as many hardcore puns as I possibly could, like putting band names into sentences. And I walked out on stage and I said, you know, good afternoon. I want to say hello to the youth of today. And all the kids in the audience started cheering. But of course, youth of today is a band name. And I said, I've been only I've only been on stage for seven seconds. And of course, that's a band name. But I want to say to you, everybody, (laughs) the whole thing was just filled with these ridiculous references to trial lyrics and hardcore and punk rock bands. I had so much fun with it. So yeah, one step away. That's indeed what listeners are and the name of a trial song. The name of a trial song, an amazing trial song, by the way, and one of my favorites. So I do want to jump in. We've been, we've been going at this for a while. It's, it's all, it's, like I said, it's always so fun. Like we always catch up. I remember the last conversation we had, I was walking around the summertime. I was walking around uh, my block. We were talking on the phone. I probably walked around my block 25 times, right? My legs hurt the next day, right? But it was all worth it. Like it was fantastic. We were just walking and talking. And so my favorite part of the podcast is where I talk about you know, what did I learn from all this? You know, so for me, it's always, uh, you know, this, the retrospective lens of, you know, 20 years ago, I did a thing, uh, and I created a thing or, or I, I met a person and, you know, they told me to do this and I did literally, and, you know, it took me in this, you know, direction or another, you know, so, you know, over your, you know, span of, of juggling and, you know, emceeing and, you know, being a, an amazing humanitarian, doing Haiti effort relief, um, and all the amazing things that you've done. Are there things that you've done, um, you know, early on 
in in the the world of like emceeing and juggling um and 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 just creating that you do differently now an example of on the last episode i talked about i had figured out now how people were going to pay me to they said they were going to pay me but i didn't know what to charge i didn't know how i was going to get there i didn't know about about getting uh you know getting drums there i don't know i mean then they're you know three thousand miles away from me i was living in seattle these people were in you know dc or virginia like how does that you know what i mean so you know what have you learned you know across the 20 or 30 years that has kind of changed the way that you see things today there are so many ways that i can answer that question from practical business responses to artistic approaches but here's what i'm what i'm going to offer is that learning the importance of listening in moments is and has been essential and here's what i mean when i was a kid i thought that people watched my juggling or let's just call them performances to encapsulate juggling speaking what have you i thought people watch performances because i was so cool and i could do something that they could not uh i later learned that that is most definitely not the reason why people watch juggling we could literally do a whole podcast on the reasons people watch watch juggling what i learned was that when i am in the midst of juggling that there is a communication and a relationship and a shared understanding being built between me and the audience. And it's not about me juggling. It's about our shared understanding of what gravity signifies to each of us. I could go off on a philosophical juggling tangent here that will alienate all your listeners for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> Instead, what I'm going to say is it's about, it's not about look at what I can do. It's about look what we are experiencing. That's a type of listening. You mentioned Haiti um, and the development work that we do with 100 for Haiti, which is the, the nonprofit with, which, uh, with, uh, with whom I work. I've, I've founded it and it's, it's what, I, what I do now. People can check it out at 100forhaiti.org. The work that we do in Haiti is informed entirely by our contacts in Haiti. Very different than when we started. When we started, we were delivering relief supplies and we realized that that model is skewed. There's an imbalance there. And we shifted the entire structure of everything to being about, okay, Haitian friends, tell us your perceptions, tell us what you need, tell us what you want, tell us what you think. And it became about a relationship of an experience and a relationship built around listening. And I think that listening again and again and again and again comes into play, um, listening to oneself, listening to an audience, listening to the moment, uh, being perceptive of experience. And this is hard and we fail in this, right? We fail all the time in this. We get self-absorbed and in the culture in which we live, it's easy to cut each other down for not perceiving some experience from another person's perspective or not listening to, you know, that sort of thing. We are easy to cut down others. And as a result, we get fearful and apprehensive and even more insular, which goes against the idea of that shared experience and that listening. So I've been counteracting that quite a bit in the last few years, for sure, like really diving in hard to what is the shared experience? What is the, the listening that I could be doing more of and doing better? And um, yeah, it all started, I think, you know, many years ago with, as you framed the question, what did I do early on that I've, you know, adapted or changed um, since? 
And again, it started out with me thinking I was so cool because I could do this juggling thing and people would clap and they were clapping for me and about me. Can't you see that it's all about me? <laughs> but realistically, it was about a shared relationship about the experience surrounding gravity. Again, we'll philosophize another day. <laughs> that's a, no, that's a, that's a great answer. And I, I, I see it and I, I hear it and I can just, I'm picturing in my head this, uh, you know, when that moment happened, right. And you just have this, oh, it's not really about me per se. It's about us. Right. I mean that internalizing that, I mean, I do a lot of internalizing of different things and ideas and, you know, the way that I perceive things versus others and, yeah, you know, internalizing that it's big. That's a big, a big thing for anyone to, to, I can't even, I can't even talk. I can't even talk about it. I'm just like, you know, it's, a, it's an it's a ongoing lesson. Yeah. It's an yeah. ongoing lesson too. It's not a finite. Oh, I now understand that it's about listening. No, it's about an ongoing relationship with yourself where you constantly are re rethinking, redefining, reopening up to possibilities that otherwise, uh, that you otherwise would not, if you were just thinking in finite terms of, oh yeah, I, I listen more now. It's no, it's constant process. This is where we dive into process. So yeah, we should probably get rid of each other and sign off before this is 12 hours more long. <laughs> yep. No, we'll, we'll do it. So any, any last words, any, uh, anything left? I'm, I'm just thankful uh, for you, for our friendship, for years of connection, and for the fact that you thought to tell that story in your last episode. I'm telling you, I was driving around Seattle. I put on the episode and I thought this is going to be interesting and weird, fun, whatever it might be. Whatever Wes talks about, it's worth the 30 minutes uh, you know, the episode lasts. And I was driving around and I had to stop it a couple of times. I was like, this is just unbelievable. I was just so thankful for your recollections. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just in a space of gratitude. That's my last, my last thoughts. And if people have heard anything in here and they want to get in touch anytime, you can find me on the web. I'm sure you'll post links and everything, but drop me a line anytime um, at Greg Benick on, on Instagram or gregbenick.com. Just find me, ask questions. Let's have a conversation and communicate. I would love to hear from anybody anytime. That's going to do it for our four-part series with Greg Benick. As always, thank you for listening to the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 28. Check out more photos and stories or connect with me at hustlethemost.com. We'll see you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,